0: Welcome to IB Voices. For this Asia-Pacific series, Educators Staying Connected, we've brought together leaders from across the Asia-Pacific region to share the crucial role that our networks, associations, principal and school groups play in maintaining connection, sharing strong practice, and promoting collective and ongoing school improvement. Today, David Boardman and Sharon Bailey form our discussion panel. I'm your host, Steve Wishart, IB World Schools Manager for Australasia. I'd like to introduce our panel members for today. They represent New Zealand Heads of School Caucus and the Victorian Tasmania and PYP Network. First, David Boardman. David is the principal of senior school at Kirsten School in Auckland, New Zealand. He's an executive member of IB World Schools Australasia and a member of the IB Heads Council. Welcome, David. Thanks, Steve. Nice to be here. Our second panellist is Sharon Bailey. And Sharon is the PYP coordinator and assistant principal at Auburn South Primary School in Melbourne. Sharon is the chair of the Victorian and Tasmanian PYP Network. She is also a valued member of the IBE Network, serving as a workshop leader, consultant, school visitor leader uh, across the Asia-Pacific region. Welcome to the podcast, Sharon. Thanks, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. David, do you mind telling us about the IB Principals Caucus in New Zealand and how does the caucus support schools across New Zealand? Really, the caucus has been around now for
1: longer than I've been in New Zealand. So it's been here for more than 15 years. So it's, it's a well established network. Unfortunately, it's predominantly diploma schools that are members of it or who regularly come. But it's really about facilitating communication. You know, we are a relatively small number of schools for a country. We're, I think, 13 DP schools. Uh, We have a number of 3 program schools and then other schools who are purely PYP or MYP. But our numbers are quite small. So one of the major factors and roles that we have is supporting each other. And especially within the HEADS caucus, supporting other heads. Because it can be quite a lonely job, Mm. especially when you're dealing with the IB. Because a lot of the communication from the IB quite rightly goes to the diploma coordinator. Unless the head has connections they can feel a little bit sort of left out. So one of my roles there is facilitating that two-way communication between New Zealand schools. And part of my role is in IB Schools Australasia as well, is making sure that we're connected with that larger collegiate group and to really maximise our effectiveness.
0: How did you remain connected over the COVID period? Absolutely. We were very
1: lucky. I think most of the independent schools, who are the majority of our IB schools in New Zealand, we had two weeks of lockdown before our Easter holidays and then a further two after. So there wasn't a massive impact on term time. Really, it was just staying connected. We, like many people, we discovered the joys of Zoom, the novelty of which rapidly wore off. But it was staying connected with each other, supporting each other with ideas and then also making sure we were communicating with the independent schools New Zealand and the Ministry of Education as well because obviously their focus was on state schools making sure that our NCEA students were well looked after and we had the job of constantly reminding them that we have this other group of very important students as well who uh, need to be catered for.
0: So the key areas of focus for the group, you know, sharing the public persona, I suppose, of the IB, is that one of the areas of focus?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Really, it's marketing the IB to the community, Mm. the wider New Zealand community, and making them aware of what the IB is and what it potentially offers a particular group of students. And we're very lucky in New Zealand that the universities are very, very open to communication, so when it comes to recognition, when it comes to you know talking about some of the changes that happen regularly in the IB diploma curriculum, like recently the, the maths change, yeah. um, we've got a role in that as well. And the universities are very, very open to us talking to them directly, as well as to the likes of you.
0: How do you see this group evolving over time in terms of the role that they have in New Zealand and perhaps even on a broader scale than that?
1: There's definitely been a shift in mindset to a realisation in the value in certain types of education during COVID. You know, there was a lot of talk early on about potentially roles falling, in, especially in independent schools, not so much in state, but we haven't seen that. In fact, we've possibly seen the opposite. We've seen them cater and cope with it very very well and this was for IB schools both state and independent. So they're seeing an educational approach there that is preparing the students very well and is flexible enough to cater with crises like this. All I can see is it really potentially being a growing role and again making sure that our Ministry of Education are constantly aware and bearing those students in mind when they're making any decisions.
0: Just thinking about one of your other key roles being on the Heads Council, can you tell us about the Heads Council and what your specific role on the Heads Council is? To sum it up, really, it's 12 heads from
1: around the world who meet twice a year with the Director General. There's three heads who represent the Asia-Pacific region. At the moment, we have myself in New Zealand. We've got a head from Australia and one from Japan with a group of heads who the director general can talk to quite openly to make sure that she's still understanding the impact and the effects that changes will have on schools and you know she regularly comes to us and asks our opinion on things before they come out so a really good sounding board as we all know you've got to have those sounding boards there otherwise you risk becoming disconnected with your stakeholders and we're very very fortunate in the fact that we can speak freely we can take back to the IB any concerns that
0: our fellow heads have got or schools in our regions. So in that role how do you support schools and how can schools in Australasia share their ideas thoughts or concerns with you?
1: I'm always open. Any of the schools, I believe, all my details are on the IB website. I think all the IB Heads Council members are listed there. So please, any schools who want to share things, I'm going to probably regret this, please don't hesitate <laughs> to find me an email. If you could just put in the, uh, the title of the email, though, that it is something to do with the Heads Council so that yeah. I can move them off to one side and read through them all. I can then make sure that if we do have trends or patterns coming through from our schools, that they get passed on to the IB. I don't have any power, so to speak, within the IB or influence, but I am a point of connection. It's just a way of gathering together numerous schools' opinions, rather Mm. than schools just firing them in one at a time. It's so much more
0: effective if
1: we work together.
0: And, you know, connection is what we're talking about on this podcast series. Speaking of trends and patterns that arise, how do you personally connect with networks and the association and perhaps other principal groups within the role that you have? Well, I'm
1: very lucky sitting on the executive of IB Schools Australasia as well. So I have contacts into a lot of the Diploma, PYP, NYP networks within Australasia Hmm. and also a lot of those principals networks as well.
0: Can you describe your role with IB Schools Australasia? What specifically do you do and how does the association role inform your contributions to other committees?
1: Well, at the moment, I'm and I have been for a number of years, I'm the secretary of IB Schools Australasia, so I I sit on the executive there. Uh, Really, you know, our role is all about supporting schools. That's the first and foremost thing. That's what's always at the back of our minds in any decision we're making. So we're looking at providing relevant PL. We're looking at providing opportunities for those networks to come together. But also, again we are a conduit for communication with the IB. We're a very well established association globally. I think we're probably one of the longest standing associations out there. We're a very strong association in both our number of schools, but also in the longevity that those schools have been with the IB. So we've got a lot of very, very established schools. So again, when we talk as a collective, the IB listen. Yeah, you know, mm. we, we were working for a number of years to try and get Tereo introduced in New Zealand. And, yeah, you know, the IB, after we went through the whole process, have made that available to us if we can get the number of schools. So that's a plus. And um, we've also been looking at a lot of the NYP stuff over time as well. And the IB are very responsive to dealing with us as an association because they know they're dealing with actually with 300, 350 schools.
0: And just to finish off, just an opinion, within Australasia, we have very strong program-based networks. We have the association, which is sort of an overarching body over the, or working with the networks. We have principal groups and we have groups of schools. How do you see this maze of support Evolving over time to further support schools. What opportunities do you see for those groups connecting and working together to further support our schools and our cause within the Australasian region and probably as an example for other regions within Asia Pacific?
1: If we think about some of those groups, we've got some incredible groups individually out there. You know, we've got the likes of AHISA the Heads of Independent Schools Association, that's an amazing group that offers some incredible PL year after year. The Ahisa conference is incredibly Mm. well supported. And I know, you know, Sharon will talk in a little bit, the Victoria PYP is an incredibly involved network who offers some amazing things for their schools. What I would like to see in the future, and I think we've got what COVID has given us the opportunity to do, is to actually offer some more of our own PL. You know, working alongside associations like IB Schools Australasia, if we need to, to be, again, a common hub to all these networks, to be able to offer almost bespoke PL for our region. Because, yes, we're all offering the same curriculum, the IB curriculum, which is offered all around the world, but each region is quite unique. And I think we need to understand that. We need to address that especially as the IB is moving into schools who have greater diversity and especially for some of in in New Zealand where we're now beginning to have more Maori and Pacifica students coming in and it's the same in in Australia with the Indigenous communities Mm. being able to come in and I think we have to make sure that the PL that we're offering our staff is bespoke so that we can cater for those cultural differences. Nobody else anywhere in the world, you know, with greatest respect, Mm. knows
0: how to deal with those cultural differences. Yeah, Fantastic points. Thank you so much, David. I'll move to Sharon now. Sharon, you're the current chair of a network that's often described as dynamic. Tell us about the Victorian and Tasmanian PYP network. What makes the network so dynamic?
2: I think we'll start with where the network has come from, because it has a really long, rich history. This is a network that has been around now for 20 years. So it began in 2001, which if we think about that, was only four years after the launch in 1997 of the PYP. And it started with nine people here in Melbourne, representing five schools, who sat around a table and were exploring how they could support each other in developing this new PYP and how they could share ideas and practice. These five schools were quite geographically isolated. Two of them were in regional Victoria as well as three Melbourne-based schools. And so in those days, 20 years ago, they set up a database so they could connect by email, phone and fax. Even in those early stages, they had some very specific goals. And those goals were the provision of professional development, the development of support networks for teachers in PYP schools, also support for school leadership, and then the promotion of the PYP to the wider community because mm-hmm. you know, 20 years ago, not many people would have known that it even existed. So that small group met three more times that year and there was an increase in numbers each meeting and by the first meeting the very next year there were 52 people there and it represented 22 schools so that just shows the growth within you know one period of just a year mm. and even within that group there was diversity from the beginning and I think that's one of the real benefits of our network and it's certainly why we are regarded as we are, because there is such diversity within our group. And so even back in the early days, there were government schools, independent schools, and then Jewish, Muslim, and also Catholic schools represented. And that is still the case today, which makes us, you know, such an incredibly rich group of people coming together. In that year too, in 2002, a school from Tasmania joined. So we also had interstate representation then. A significant milestone in that second year was the launch of something that then became globally recognised and that was starting off in a very simple way as a quarterly newsletter called the PYP Inclusive. Now that was just a newsletter that was set up just for the schools in our network but very quickly It became distributed both nationally and then internationally, till we had a global audience of hundreds. And it really was the key inspiration for today's Sharing PYP blog. And I just, you know, just in this context, like to really recognize one person, because Kathy Saville, who is a previous chair um, of our particular network, was editor of that publication for 13 years and there were 37 issues that she actually edited and she was then part of the think tank that transformed that into what we now have globally as the sharing the PYP blog. A mission statement was established in 2006 and that is still our mission statement today and that is that the PYP Victorian Network seeks to model and foster the ideals and philosophy of the IB through its actions and provision of information, meetings and professional development opportunities that promote professional learning and encourage communication between members. And that was established in 2006 and that's still our own mission statement today. From little things big things grow today 20 years later we have over 80 schools in our network and often when we have full representation at our network meetings which we have every term we can have at least 150 people at each one of those meetings i think part of the success of the network is also that we have an executive a hardworking executive that really drives everything that we do. And so that has grown in 20 years from three people who nominated to lead the ship to now 14 of us today in our executive group.
0: Fantastic. It really has set, for a start, that publication that was so readily read throughout the Asia-Pacific region really set the standard for communication and sharing about a particular program particularly in the Asia-Pacific region. And the growth within the PYP network in Victoria is exceptional and continues to be exceptional in that there are a number of candidate schools in the process of becoming authorised so that 80 doesn't include those at the moment. So projections are very high for that network as it moves forward. Because in Victoria, you're into a second lockdown. We are. How are you supporting your schools that are facing this, you know, very difficult challenge at the moment, going into that second period of a six-week lockdown and engaging in remote learning?
2: Yes, well, we were thrown into this very quickly. We didn't anticipate that we would be in this position a few weeks ago. We were here in Victoria in a lockdown situation with schools working remotely for a five to six-week period last term and when we were thrown into that we didn't necessarily feel as an exec from a network perspective that there was much that we could offer at that stage. It seemed a little bit counterintuitive to add to people's busy schedules because we knew that people were really just you know thrown into their own school context and you know pedaling hard to just get that infrastructure set up. So we made it very clear that we were there for each other, but we didn't do anything particularly active. And in fact, as far as all of our professional learning events were concerned, we had a lot of things set up for second term. We actually, from the feedback from our network schools where they just couldn't take anything else on, mm. we actually really just offered very subtle support. Mm. This time round, On reflection, we know that people are, they've got the infrastructure in place in their schools and so we think that they are ready for more support. So we actually had an executive meeting this morning and we are now being particularly active in making sure that we set up a whole range of support groups for a variety of different groups who need specific support. So, for example, we're very aware that in this lockdown situation now, that there are many schools who are facing both remote authorisation and evaluation visits, which is new for all of us. So any school that has a visit coming up between now and the end of this year, that visit will be a virtual visit. So that's new territory for school visitors as well as for leadership in schools. So we are setting up a support group for those people. Another group of people who need specific support are schools who are running exhibition because, again, with us being remote, most of those exhibitions will now be virtual. So we know there are specific needs from that group as well. There are also specific needs for the group of early years teachers. For example, I know in my school and from many other people I've spoken to who are early years teachers, if you have five-year-olds who have just started school this year and they've Mm -hmm. been in lockdown, twice we know that you know any child starting school and their parents expect that they're going to learn to read in the first year of school so there are challenges there specific yeah. challenges for early years teachers into how do we actually teach a child to read remotely so we think that that's a specific area of need as well specialist teachers as well in a primary school context how are they engaging in their school communities and also how are they engaging in a transdisciplinary way when they have to be remote, also a candidate schools and particularly two new PYP coordinators and heads who may have been new to to the programme this year and have been thrown into that's right exactly. (laughs) So we are setting up Within our exec team of 14, different people have taken on different areas of responsibility and we're setting up forums like this, webinars, support groups as much as we can to make sure that there are a range of options there. Yeah,
0: a lot of layers of support there using the experience within the network, which is really important.
2: Yeah. Another thing that we've done just as a gesture of goodwill, knowing, you know, that just to acknowledge that the resilience that people have had to show this year, first thing is that we actually do have an annual subscription fee for our network that Mm. helps us just maintain some of the professional learning that we provide. So this year, we decided that we would waive the fee for all schools. And also what we're doing is providing additional professional learning free of charge too. So, for example, we've engaged Kath Murdoch to run a series of webinars for us in a couple of weeks that we will provide just as a token of goodwill to the schools in our network to thank them for, you know, the extra effort that they've had to put in this year.
0: Fantastic. In addition to that, in normal times, you know, and, and perhaps in times to come, can I just have a brief taste of some of the initiatives, some of the innovations that the Victorian Network apply or use to support their schools? Sure. I know that they have the you know, visiting teacher classrooms and so forth. Could you just outline a couple of those strategies for us that other well, networks might benefit from?
2: The one that you're referring to, Steve, we've called Open Schools Fortnight, And that's been running, I think, for probably about 10 years now in our network. It's about halfway through our school year here in Australia, so in term three, which is August. And for two weeks, schools nominate to open their doors at certain times during this two-week period, Now, that's not to say that our doors aren't open all the time because, of Mm. course, in a PYP context, they are. But this is a specific focus. And schools will nominate particular areas of strength that they could showcase to others. And then teachers from schools throughout the network see the variety of schools who are open at certain times on certain days and they book themselves in. And then there's a lot of, of visiting between schools during that time it's been a fabulous initiative it's well supported both in schools opening their doors and also allowing teachers to go and visit other schools so it's an incredibly valuable initiative that our network Mm.
0: has now run for quite a few years and there's been opportunities for mentorship in the past
2: oh yeah very much so there always is so any new PYP coordinators are assigned a mentor from either within our executive team or other experienced PYP coordinators. And the same for new heads to PYP schools as well. So within the structure of our executive team, we have sub teams. And so there's co-chairs for PYP coordinators, co-chairs for heads and principals, co-chairs for professional learning. And so they take responsibility for that. But certainly new PYP coordinators, and that would be one of the challenges that many of our schools face, that we actually do have a number of schools who become candidate schools, and the PYP coordinator is appointed usually from within the staff, may have been a pre-existing assistant principal or leading teacher or curriculum coordinator, yet they have no prior PYP experience. So that's a tough gig. So we make sure that there's support there with an experienced PYP coordinator from our network to work alongside them.
0: Yeah. Where do you see the network evolving? You know, given the significant growth that's happening, both in the private and the public sector within the Victorian network,
2: well, I think that's been a challenge it's been interesting, you know, for many of us who have been associated for a long time watching that growth. You know, I've been involved for the last 15 years with the Victoria Network and just seeing that exponential growth of schools is something that we as a network have as both a challenge and an opportunity. Mm. It's, you know, how do you contain that? And I remember years ago, we were a little bit concerned about the geographical spread that was happening here in Melbourne, well, that geographical spread has now gone to the whole of Victoria and Tasmania. Mm. And so I think, you know, there was a resistance early on for us. We wanted to keep it tight. We wanted to make sure that we were all connected. And I think we have to acknowledge that there will need to be, and there are now, cluster groups within our Victorian and Tasmanian network in order to just logistically maintain some authentic connections.
0: Just finally on the network, do you connect with other networks, other program networks within Victoria or PYP networks outside of Victoria? I
2: think not formally, but certainly because there are a number of members of IBIN within the executive and also within our schools, then we connect. So it's not formally through the network, but the people on the exec and the people within our network connect very much through the IBAN network. And that just adds another Mm. layer and a particular depth to those connections as well. So we would do that. I think, you know, we also connect now through social media. You know, the fact that, you know, many of us are active on Twitter and there are, you know, a variety of groups on Facebook as well now. So there's that sort of connection as well. I think the main connector for many of us is IBIN.
0: Well, that's a smooth transition into the next question. And in your next role, can you share the benefits of being part of IBEN and how connections continue to support professional growth within that network?
2: It's, It's interesting for me because I became a PYP coordinator the exact same week that I did IBIN training about 12 years ago. As I said before, it gives us a different layer of professional learning for a start. And so, you know, when you are a member of IBIN, you are privy to a deeper level of professional learning that is offered to you and that also you are providing when you are, you know, co-constructing workshops. It works both ways. So the benefits are definitely professional because of that connection that you have with other like-minded educators. But the connection is also personal, and that's what I value the most. You know, 12 years ago, I didn't really think that I needed to have any other lifelong friends. I had quite enough. I was, you know, happy with my long-term connections. But what it does with that membership of Ivan is that. You meet people and because you know that you share similar values through IB values and also then professionally that you are, you know, pedagogically aligned, I think what you find is that you make really close connections with people very quickly. Mm. Mm. And so I can now say that I have a whole new group of lifelong friends you know, I love and, and value, um, both personally and professionally. And I know that I can call upon at any time
0: because of that connection. Well, it's a fantastic endorsement for the network. Look, thank you so much for sharing your insights into networks and groups that you're associated with. I'm wondering if you have any final tips for ensuring an engaged learning community through networks, associations or principal groups. And, How can we enhance connection for schools and educators and promote these connections better? I'll start with you, David. Um, I think,
1: firstly, if you're not a member of an association, please do join one. You know, it doesn't have to be one of the bigger associations to start with. Make sure you get involved with one of your regional associations. So maybe one of your PYP, your DP network, MYP, because they are a wealth of knowledge. Mm. And they will also give you some incredibly valuable advice on which other associations to potentially join. You know, I can't understate their value. And again, make sure your coordinators are talking with other coordinators. There has historically been a lot of schools who have not shared things or who have not wanted to talk to other schools because mm. they're seen as competitors. Well, actually, we're all in this together. We all want the same thing. We all want the best for our students. And working together, we are so much stronger than going in alone. But please, you know, do reach out to some of those organisations. Come along to some of the meetings make the use of things like the IB schools Australasia conference which is scheduled again for next year in in June and that will cater for all PYP, MYP and DP schools. It's just a great way of networking not only do you get the information you want and some incredibly valuable PL but like Sharon says you meet people and it's those people who you can just call up you can just flick them a quick email and you can trust them and you know the information they're going to give you is correct and valid.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sharon?
2: Yeah, I think certainly what David was saying about that trust, I really resonated just then when you said that. There, There is a significant level of trust that comes with authentic networks and I know that some schools who are new to IB and certainly new to the PYP, many candidate schools that I've made connections with, are blown away when they first join the group because they're not used to that level of sharing. I think that's particularly relevant in independent schools where there is inherent competition with many schools. And so people are not used to the level of sharing. They join our network and they are mind blown by the generosity of sharing that goes on within a network. So trust that there is, you know, a genuine want to be able to, you know, share practice, share resources, share ideas to, you know, help and support because that is the essence of what the network is all about. And, you know, picking up again on another point of yours, David, it's about active involvement. And so, Steve, I know that our network for many years has been described as dynamic, and I know that whenever I'm representing the network anywhere, I always use that adjective, that we are a dynamic network. We're dynamic because we're active. There is an active exec who works tirelessly. We have to remind ourselves sometimes that we are volunteers and that we're all leaders in other schools, you know, in our schools as well, and that this is just something that we do because we love it. And so, you know, we're certainly active, but our network is active. And so that then relies on people being actively involved within everything that the network will provide as well.
0: Thanks for listening. And I would like to thank our panel for joining us on this episode. Visit our website where you can subscribe to YV Voices so you'll never miss an episode.